Hello everyone and welcome to the Granite Mountain Movie Club. I'm your host, I go by Granite. Today we're discussing the 2023 documentary Death Athletic, directed by Jessica Solche. Jessica joins us for this episode, which marks the first time we've had an actual filmmaker on the show. And this is also the first time we've covered a documentary at all. And Jessica is the first female guest we've ever had. Um, so, uh, so we're making history. We're, we're, we're breaking glass ceilings today. Uh, as a heads up, uh, I tried a new recording software and it cut off the first couple minutes of the conversation, but it was just introductions, so you're not missing anything. When the, when the episode starts, you'll hear Jessica talking and she's just explaining the premise of her documentary. So uh, enjoy the episode, and as always, please like, subscribe, and share the show with your friends. That's uh, it's really the only way it grows. So thanks. Well, Death Athletic is a feature documentary. I filmed it over eight years, so it's a very intimate portrait of Cody Wilson, Defense Distributed, and it covers the 3D gun space. Um, Even though I started filming this film in 2015, it does backtrack and give, you know, some um, history starting in 2013, so, you know, the audience can catch up if they don't know this topic and person whatsoever. Um, So it is eight years of what has happened um, in Cody Wilson's life and business and the world of 3D guns and ghost guns from 2015 to 2022. And Death Athletic, the title of the film, came about because we kind of, um, a big part of making this film was also reading philosophy. Um, If you know Cody and how he speaks and where he pulls a lot of his motivations from, they're very philosophically based. Um, And so there was a lot of reading. And one of the books that we were all reading was a book by Peter Sloterdijk called You Must Change Your Life. Um, He's a German philosopher and still alive today. And this book has a few paragraphs about um, something he calls death athletes. And these death athletes in the book is um, being used in a very religious framework. So Jesus, death athlete, someone who had to overcome the tyranny of death to fulfill his fate um, and in doing so must die. So taking this idea of a death athlete, bringing it, contemporizing it to now and creating this idea of death athletic means that Individuals today, we have Assange, we have Ross Ulbrich, we have Aaron Schwartz, we have Jay Stark, a number of people that, and and there's degrees of it. I would say those are like top degree death athletes because I think prison is a form of death. Aaron Schwartz definitely, unfortunately, met his. um, Will Ross Ulbrich ever get out, etc.? You have to, in order to stand by a moral and principle that is outside what your government or what the mass, the masses like are believing or, you know, any of these forms, you know, the quote unquote misinformation. In order to do that, there has to be a recognition that you might be culturally canceled. You might be doxxed. You might be um, ousted, you know, from like comfortable society, all these things. Um, And, 
I just thought it was a really, really powerful and appropriate slogan um, to become a death athlete, to become death athletic in this time, in this world where we need we need heroes and we need super courageous people. Yeah, I love the name. It's a cool name. And um, and I'll say I didn't know, like I said, I didn't know much about Cody. I, I kind of knew who he was. I knew about 3D printed guns and stuff. Uh, I'd actually worked at a place that that was really interested in 3D printing. Uh, the kind of people I was working with, though, they knew who Cody was. They didn't, they were, they were more, uh, I would call them libtards, but they, they, um, they were not like cool with, with that use of 3d printing. So, but I, I at least knew about it pretty early on, but yeah, so I didn't know a ton about Cody and watching the documentary. I of course learned a lot about him and then I just thought it was really good. I thought that it was a really compelling portrayal of like man versus man versus government really. It's a really good illustration of the ways in which government can, and I think Cody even has a quote like this in the in the documentary. I don't think I wrote it down, but something about like you, you can effectively be in prison without being in prison because of the 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 total consuming nature of the the pressure that the government can put on you. They can they can use the media apparatus and use just you know. Loss, obnoxious lawsuits and things to just absolutely ruin your life. So I thought it was really compelling. I thought it was a good illustration of of the way government harasses people. Um, overall, I just thought it was was good. And I think um, anyone who listens to this show, like our, our audience, you know, definitely leans. I assume most of our audience is probably pretty Second Amendment friendly and things like that. Like, you, know, you should check this out. Like, I'm, I'm going to put the link in here. Everyone I, I really think should go watch this. It's it was obviously a labor of uh, intense work and labor of love. So uh, I think it, I think it deserves to be seen. It's, it's really well made. That's like one of the standout things too. Like the first 30 seconds, I'm like, okay, this is like, this is a, this is a real, this is a real documentary. Like the, the kind of high end stuff that you might see on, it's even better than like, you know, there's like all these like Netflix slop uh, documentaries. It's better than those. Like everyone should check it out. Thank you. It definitely was a uh, work of passion. I, I made this film for myself. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, and you you brought up um, you know a few names of uh, of kind of iconic people in I don't know what you even call this sphere, <laughs> you know, or maybe pro freedom something or other, but. Um, I feel like sometimes, because I've been following this space for a while, right? So, like, I, I heard about Cody Wilson, I think, right when he got dropped by uh, uh, Kickstarter or whatever and had to fund his own operation when he initially, like, launched uh, the, the Liberator project, right? So, that's, like, I was in there pretty early on, and I was like, this is great, right? But, so, I've been, since 2013... You know, whenever something like this comes up and I'm trying to explain to people, hey, there's this really cool project going on with like pro freedom and pro Second Amendment. I got to tell you about it. There's this guy, Cody Wilson, you know, and and I find it very frustrating because nobody has any idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> so so like you dropped some names and I bet even some of our audience who are like on board like maybe they know Julian Assange, but like, do they know who Ross Ulbricht is? Do they know these other names? 
And um, that's why I'm glad there's been some documentaries so I can be like, hey, can you please watch this and find out what's been going on? But I don't know. I wanted yeah, to say that. Shores is probably the one that um, I know who he is, but uh, he's probably the least well known now, I guess, at least in our circle. Uh, and that, that mm-hmm. I just mean my circle and cool Fraser's circle, but he was the, uh, he was the MIT student who was, who was, you know, providing access to studies, right? Like just academic papers. Yeah. He kind of, um, I'm trying to, I haven't talked about it in a long time. He kind of snuck into the MIT's like, I guess, secure, um, internet, uh, what is it called? Like their, um, where they keep everything. And he like plugged in and took all, I think the academic journals and articles because mm. he wanted to basically set them free. It was like <laughs> idea of like all the information should be free. And because of that, they like, they came after him. Like he was, I mean, like a killer, yeah. <laughs> like, like a Noriega just, I mean, they went after him completely to the point where he unfortunately couldn't take it anymore. And he hung himself. Yeah. And the, and the thing too about that, I don't know. I don't remember what year that was, but um, it seems like the the replication crisis. I don't know if you know about that, but that that seems to have happened more after that. And it's like then the replication crisis was basically like a, a bunch of academic work and like the social studies and stuff doesn't doesn't replicate. It's not real. Like it doesn't mean anything. And it's funny to think that they were, you know, he was setting this free, and it's the kind of stuff that people would have figured out, you know, if they had access to it, they would have figured out this, this work was bogus. And and that's probably one reason why they really don't want it just set free because uh, so much of this work is like kind of fake, but, um, and yeah, and then, yeah, with things more like with, uh, with COVID and stuff, like we, we, we kind of, the public seems a lot more aware now that a lot of what happens in the Academy is just kind of fake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know about the replication crisis. I know, I believe Aaron Schwartz, I think it was 2011. Yeah, I think he predates it. Yeah, he predates it. But one interesting bit that I remember is that Aaron Schwartz was actually like one of the first people working on Reddit. Mm -hmm. So he was, he was young and he was like a little prodigy, um, internet prodigy, but, uh, he, he sadly met his end by his own hands because he couldn't understand, couldn't withstand the pressure of everything. Um, and yeah, and that's a lot of what you capture in the documentary, I think really well. Um, just that, uh, yeah, the, the government going hard against someone who's, who's small. The ability to just wear someone down when they don't have uh, power in their own right of being, you know, uh, a government. Yeah. Have, have you, shown this to an audience that's like not on side and (laughs) and have you had any feedback or like experience of like either whether it's someone who's just totally unaware of any of this or maybe somebody who might be against some of this stuff yeah super interesting um still the audience has been pretty small and trying to get it out there but for anyone that has watched it like actually watched the film so far i have only gotten back super positive responses and a ton of curiosity in New York. Um, the audience was pretty mixed and I know that there were a number of people in the audience that were not quote unquote to a friendly at all or into this entire world. Like, um, I'd Mm -hmm. spoken to some of them in the past and, um, 
they were not into it, let's just say. Yeah. One of those individuals at the end asked me if I was going to continue filming Cody and I should. That's how weird that was. This, because in the end, this film is not really about guns and that really, I think, Mm -hmm. um, throws people off. It's really, it's really like, oh, you hear this all the time, but it really is about freedom and it's really about freedom of speech. And it's really about, can I create something and give it to people freely and not be hindered if it's not like a little literal armament, right? Mm-hmm. To this day, a lot of people don't know Cody, but if they have heard of him, he they think that he actually sold guns outright. Like he was doing some crazy, like handing out guns. I don't know. Yeah, handing out guns that could pass through metal detectors. And exactly. They have no idea that it's about code. And um, mm-hmm. and, and, and even the, the 2A guys are probably like some of the the hardest to break through on that too because like they're just like oh plastic gun is stupid like, yeah there's they a don't lot get of, it there's a lot of 2a people that don't support this niche it's still pretty niche actually um niche community of making 3d guns at all um there is no like it's still very hobby and niche and it's you know the support is random and across different forms um and communities so yeah so um the audience has been interesting for those people that have actually watched i've only got massively positive responses and it's from a not like a one brand audience which is great and that's why like trying to get this film out is just, you know, a daily passion because I think people take a lot more out of this film than just like, it's not about 2A, it's about courage. And it's about withstanding the pressures of a crumbling government and what to do and how to build. So, you know, positive. So what's Mm -hmm. like the life cycle for a documentary like yours? Because I know, I know you have another one, uh, No Control, which I, I watched and I noticed it was on uh, Tubi, like the streaming site Tubi. So like, what's the life cycle for these things? Like right now, your, uh, right now, um, death athletic, I think you can get it on like Amazon and, uh, where else can you, you can get it. Like you can do the rental, right? Like on a couple different sites. So yeah, I'll, I'll tell you how this works. So no control was purchased by a distributor and I got my rights back a few months ago, but for some reason that Tubi thing still won't come down, but it shouldn't be there. It technically shouldn't be there anymore. I'm selling it directly from my website, nocontroldoc.com. I have those rights back. Um, So, and that was, no control was at one point on Amazon and all those places, but once you get your rights back, you have to start back from the beginning. So defense, I'm sorry. Death Athletic, I am distributing myself because no one wanted to touch this film. Starting in 2019, I was attempting to sell it to the Netflix and all those places. And um, the response was it was on the wrong side of history. Um, You know, what I was doing was, you know, wrong and incorrect and not to be encouraged because what it is, is an intimate portrait. I don't have talking heads. I don't have people pretending to give unbiased opinions. This is a story Mm -hmm. and it's uh, an attempt to make a cinematic documentary that um, is really about an individual's motivation 
It's not about pe- people's opinions. And that was, it's kind of not allowed right now. Um, right. You don't have anyone coming on the screen saying, and this is why Cody is bad, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, like, you're kind of just showing the, the subject. Absolutely. And that's what I wanted to do from the beginning. That was like also part of my motivation. Um, having already, um, Cody was in my first film, No Control, although there are many, many other people in that film. Um, I wanted, I, you know, I saw, I really saw how media was operating in real time for the first time in my life, how, um, how like scenes were set, how moods were set. Everything was very dark and misunderstanding from the beginning. And it really just, it really just itched at me. Like having people want to give, you know, real information, but then just manipulating the heck out of it. So Death Athletic came from that place where I'm like, well, this story is extremely worth telling. I'm super passionate about it on multiple fronts. And I want him to tell his story and the audience can be intelligent enough um, to make their own opinion. Um, so yeah, well, that's, that's where that's it all came. more consistent with like the classic approach to documentary filmmaking, isn't it? Like it seems like in the last, like, I don't know, last 15, 10 years or something, documentaries have become very like prescriptive. Like they, like cool Frazier mentioned, like there's always a guy on screen after every segment telling you how to process it. Like, oh no, what you just saw, you're supposed to think that was bad, or you're supposed to think that was good. But your yeah, but yours feels to me like more of a classic style documentary where you're just showing stuff and just letting the viewer just process it themselves. Isn't that what like audiences want kind of now? Like I feel like, you know, in the age of like I guess we're post BuzzFeed now, but you know, BuzzFeed was all like, here's how you should feel about this, or like ten things to know about this complex situation. And it's always like just editing it down to whatever position the, the, the media wants you to take on it. <laughs> sure. I, I do think audiences want that. I think they even want that not knowing that they want it right, right. now, because right now everyone's plugged into all the streaming and they're just, they're just willing to mass watch everything from 8 PM to 11 PM till they go to bed. So they're not like searching out intellectual curiosities. Um, yes. It's very formulaic. I feel definitely in the last 10 years, um, I mean, you can see it hardcore in the last five um, with COVID, all these documentaries coming out that were, you know, nine episodes, 45 minutes, every episode has, you know, this formula. And by the end, you like are always manipulated into thinking something, hating something, you know, like, you know, they had always had catches. So it was no longer about what was actually happening in the stories. It was about how do we make the audience come back? Yeah. Um, and to me, that's like so manipulative because yeah. it's supposed to be a documentary. It's not reality TV. This is a documentary. Um, it's yeah, everything I don't want to make. It it seems documentary filmmaking seems like a powerful medium for. So uh, don't take this wrong way, but it seems like a powerful medium for propagandizing people. Um, and I say that because I feel like when Netflix started doing streaming and they were desperate for content. And this is like, I guess late two thousands or something. They just loaded it up with cheap documentaries. And then a lot of millennials, like in my age cohort would just like watch that stuff and just download their opinions from whatever they saw there. 
And and they're like, and there's things they saw in like 2009 that they just sort of still believe that are not necessarily accurate at all. But they they saw it in a documentary and it was compelling. Um, now, and those those one those documentaries are not not quite the way yours is. Your like I say, yours is not isn't leading isn't as leading as those were. But um, it has seemed like. And I and I don't want to like put you on the like the conservative side of anything like, um, but it has seemed like conservative media is now you know they're kind of late they're generally late to everything but it seems like now they're like getting the memo kind of on how to use documentaries a little better I mean it's it's very late in the game for this but just in the last couple of years there's been a few that are are kind of good I don't know at least they're they're at least good at like uh like telling people a thing to believe um, and, and do, sure, do it in an entertaining way. I'll up your, um, your statement and say everything is propaganda. And if you don't recognize that everything that you're reading online, everything that people are saying is a form of propaganda, propaganda doesn't have to necessarily be good or bad. It's how it's done. Then I think it releases us from this like, negative sense of like, oh, propaganda, bad. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is propaganda. Now, there's good propaganda, there's bad propaganda, there's highly manipulated propaganda. <laughs> I think there's a whole mix, you know. An ad for Coca-Cola at a football um, game is a, t- a type of propaganda. Now, just make good, <laughs> good stuff. Um, I think... Yeah, this is, I mean, I didn't set out to make a piece of propaganda, but if you're, if you're working in a society where everything is propaganda, where ideas can only break through in the medium of art by these systems that are controlling thought process, then you do have to make something counter that counters that. And in the end, it will be the opposite side of the propaganda, right? So I think that word has been like, uh, kind of demonized and at the same time misunderstood um, and then definitely needs to be embraced by people that are making content, film, art that is counter to what, you know, these uh, loops that are being fed in media and on streaming. I mean, they wouldn't let mine in because I'm the wrong type of propaganda. Um, and I personally think the film isn't uh, purposefully biased in the form that it sets out to destroy an idea on purpose or build an idea. It's about a person. And we should go back to being allowed to demonstrate and show a person. And at the end of it, you can choose to hate it or not. Just like the, um, the Bannon doc that came out by Vin Vendors. Mm. He was like, there, you know, there was protests. This is Vin Vendors, like one of the best known documentarians. He was protested at, I think, like the New York Film Festival and Bannon wasn't allowed to come. I was like, if you hate him so much, go watch this, go learn something. Maybe you'll learn how to hate him better. <laughs> right. Like all of that. Um, so in a form, the movie that he, that was made about Bannon is a form of propaganda, but we have to let our subjects speak again so that we can actually learn something and be intellectual and understand how we can build a society that allows all thought again. Well, and propaganda is kind of like a subject of the film in that 
um, you know, you kind of go to the beginnings of of uh, defense distributed and the the wiki weapon and stuff like that, right? And almost explicitly, um, you know, and and this is what interested me in in Cody uh, early on is I felt like he was somebody who understood propaganda, really? and he almost was able. I don't know if this was just blind luck or, um, you know, he just knew how to work this or maybe he stumbled into it and then figured it out. But he, he used the, um, the, the machine of, uh, propaganda, meaning like traditional media outlets and things like that as, um, a way to advance his cause. Right. So like, for instance, he he had a Kickstarter that was kind of languishing, right? Not enough people had seen it. Nobody was donating. But then he got taken off of Kickstarter and the media was like, we're going to plaster this triumph. We got rid of, you know, we controlled guns. So let's tell everybody we took this down, right? They were like, we're going to celebrate. <laughs> but then that um, attention that was brought to it is what funded the project. Because then he said, okay, I guess I'll take like Bitcoin or whatever. And, um, and, and then subsequently he was able to, uh, not only use kind of just the, the gun itself and like the plastic guns as just visual propaganda, but, you know, he was able to hop on and then, you know, instead of, you know, being a traditional gun guy, he was talking about, you know, Foucault and, and stuff like that, which once again, uh, kind of undermined the the maybe the goal of these these um, tenured propagandists, and um, and kind of flipped things, and and that's one of the things I think uh, is actually like Cody's greatest contribution. And there's not a lot of people I feel like, especially on the right, that really understand that. I I think like the last one was maybe like Andrew Breitbart. He understood using kind of media against itself, but um, then he There's died. A, but yeah, Cody so. has a good quote in the, I, I'm paraphrasing it, but he's something like, he says something like, we all know the media is fake. Uh, you can use it. And some days it uses you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. From the very beginning, Cody knew how to play the system. It came, I think a lot from his philosophical studies of the theater and the spectacle and Baudrillard and he went hard. He didn't care if someone was going to pay him white or black, you know, good or bad. He knew all of that was just uh, a place in the theater on the stage. Um, and he knew that why did they do the gun when Ben's when Ben Denio suggested, oh, let's let's do a 3D printed gun. That's going to rile people up. Why did they immediately be like, yes, because Cody knew that that image that piece of um of suggestion would just drive people mad and he ran with it and of course when people started inviting him up on thinking they're just going to get this young i don't know obnoxious college kid on he just he he's very smart and he nobody could corner him and because of that media just ate it up in a way you know they just were like whoa it just it spiraled out and um, yeah, it, the marketing, the marketing was key. I, yeah. If it was in anyone else's hands, it probably would have been, I don't know, caught up, dismissed, 
disappeared pretty quickly. I really like the footage in the documentary when he, I think it's like CBS morning news. It's like one of those Sunday morning news shows and he's sitting across from the guy and just kind of owning him. And they, it's like, and, and I know how those things are edited. So he, the owning must have been pretty thorough for them to include it because they must have had nothing else. Oh my goodness. That is, I remember when that came out in 2018, that was like August, 2018. It was amazing. The clips um, that I put in the film. I mean, I'm just amazed that they put it out as they did because Cody owns the, um, the man he's speaking with so thoroughly that there's just, they allow space and pause. Like he'd had nothing to say. Um, I highly suggest people watch it for that part. It's, it really makes you go like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, that's a, that was a great moment. Yeah, and I feel like there's just so few people capable of that. Like, um, not only like using the media against itself, but then being able to just talk to a journalist and not have them totally screw with you, you know, like, because that's what they do always. But, um, yeah, yeah, he's playing on another level than some of us. But, um, yeah, and also in the documentary, you you kind of mentioned this, which I feel like hasn't been mentioned before in the story of of uh, Cody Wilson, which is he kind of started it as a troll was mentioned that him and his buddy were kind of just trolling. And um, I was like, that's kind of interesting because there is that playfulness to it. And also myself having a background in kind of internet trolling, I guess. Um, I think it's interesting, like how powerful it is to just kind of, um, kind of mock the, the powers that be. And, and it's almost, I almost think that's the reason they put that stuff out there because they just like, they can't accept that they're being owned. <laughs> like, it's like, I'm not owned. I'm as not owned. a, as a movie podcast, I need to point out too. I didn't, I didn't realize that part of, I don't know if this was kind of just a joke or, or serious, but they, they'd mentioned part of the inspiration being the dark night in that, that courtroom when they have the carbon fiber mm. gun. I thought that was funny. That's entire, that's entirely serious. Benjamin Denio was watching that movie or had watched that movie. I forgot. And then was like, we need to do this. But that movie, <laughs> the moment where the, the plastic gun comes out, like totally inspired him in thinking about making this. So and maybe the two of you would know this better than me. I, so 3D printed guns were were kind of already happening. It was already kind of a thing. But but Defense Distributed and Cody and and uh, and others they they were just working on like different uh, ways of just like ways of getting it out there. Is that is that right? It was in a very nascent stage. I believe there was a a man named Have Blue that was playing with it already. Um, and people were, but it was still very niche and very small. We're talking about it, trying to make it. And Cody and Benjamin and Defense Distributed just really jumped on it and went hard. And they, they took this idea of this hobby of just like this creative idea of like, can we do it? And pushed it into the political um, so like they say, like Cody says in the film, um, probably would have gotten lost in a hobbyist space, but what they did is they turned it into, uh, a dagger Yeah, into the ability to control 
anything that's put on the yeah, internet. Yeah, and he had that he had a phrase I liked um in, in kind of in relation to that he talked about like putting political vocabulary or something like that, like putting putting like the, I guess the language of politics on top of it so it it had more uh it had more legs of its own or something. Yeah, for sure. Um they distilled it in the p- political from the beginning and that's really why it took off so hard um, and why they were so successful. Yeah. And I think um, the, the big difference was the, the focus of the gun. Cause previously, you know, I think people had maybe attempted certain gun parts cause in the world of guns, like there's certain parts that already can be made out of plastic. But the, I, the idea was we're going to make a fully 3d printable functioning firearm. Um, a lot of people, like in the gun space are like, well, that's dumb because that gun is not a very good gun and I could just go buy an AR. Right. And that's why like nobody else in, in kind of that hobbyist or second amendment space tried it because they didn't realize that it becomes a symbol. It it's beyond like its functionality. Like it, 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 it works as like a form of speech or a form of propaganda. Right. Yes. Isn't there in the gun world, isn't there a whole, no, I'm, I'm vaguely, I mean, I'm a little familiar with guns. I'm, I'm cool with them. I've used them, but not like a, I don't, I don't really pay attention a lot to, it, but isn't there a whole like community in the gun world of people who are kind of like guns are cool, but shouldn't ever be used for anything. Like, isn't that. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Well, I just, I bring that up cause I, I did notice a few times they kind of talk about not, not like not contempt for hobbyists, but sort of like hobbyists aren't going to get this done sort of thing. Like, um, and I, I just picked, picked sure. up on that. That was, that was definitely in the framework of when Cody pushed it out there, there was people like have blue, there was talk. I think Foscad was around, but nobody was really utilizing it as a tool against the government, utilizing it as a tool to demonstrate second amendment and first amendment rights. They were just doing it. They were just talking about it. Maybe like, Oh, maybe we can make this part. Um, Cody Defense Distributed took this idea and forced it into the mainstream with all the danger that they could muster to propagandize this, this, you know, this piece, this art piece. It was like performance, it was mischievous performance art. Um, and they did it so incredibly well and intelligently by studying the law beforehand, right? That um, they rearranged the paradigm of showing how the internet is so far ahead of government law. And while also tapping into um, the, you know, the cypherpunk, the crypto wars of the nineties and why code was already established as free speech, which was also, which is also a very important part of this, making this film more about free speech. They like, they never gave anyone a gun. It was just code. Um, so yeah, it, it's, you know, taking it from the hobbyists, which no, no problem with the hobbyists, right? But, and forcing this into the mainstream made people reckon with this idea of the internet in a very, very different way. And WikiLeaks was a massive um, energizer, if you will. Cody loved what Assange was doing. Ben loved what Assange was doing, and they wanted to take that into another platform, another space. Hmm. Um, 
I wanted to, I sort of, to, uh, you know, I've already kind of recommended the movie, but I wanted to throw some more praise on there. Um, so, uh, I just think it looks really good. I don't know. I don't know technically what you had to do to make it look that good, but, um, it looks <laughs> nice that the editing is really sharp. Like, you know, it feels it cuts when it should cut and, um, moves, you know, there's like a feeling of movement to it. Um, and then the music is like, that's a big thing for me in, in, you know, in documentary or just a feature film. Um, I feel like music is used pretty poorly a lot of the time, but I felt like music was just right here. It was like, it was just, uh, it was just on point. And that must be hard to, I don't exactly know how you, how you do it. I don't know if you had to have original music made or um, you're just, you know, licensing tracks or something, but I thought, I thought that those were all good decisions. Thank yeah, you. and all the, you know, all the, I don't know what you'd call it, like the animations and text on screen, everything just looked really good. Thank you. I mean, it was, it was a lot of work. Um, starting with the music, um, I had, you know, big aspirations of, um, first, this was, I think I should establish that this was self-financed until 2022. Um, so from 2015 to 2022, I'm basically doing everything. I had a DP um, that I would hire as much as I could. Um, sometimes he wasn't available. Sometimes I was filming by myself. It's just a girl, <laughs> her camera, her sound. Um, but this is also how I like to film. Um, no matter what, when you walk into a space, you're going to change the dynamic. Luckily, I was able to be around so much and um, I was uh, welcomed with such open arms that I felt like I sometimes I could disappear a bit, um, but I, it was a very, very slim crew, um, usually one, two, maximum three people. So going to the music is, uh, I luckily got funding in 2022 to help finish the film. Post-production is definitely some of the most expensive part of making a film. And um, I did have some high hopes for certain music, but I just received no, 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 no over and over again. I mean, they wouldn't, fact that guns, Cody Wilson, that was just like straight up denials. So, um, it was like, like artists I, or management would just say no. Both. Both. Mm. I even at one point found like artists with like only 200 followers and they would hear about what this film was about and they would say no. And I'm like, you have no followers. <laughs> like, what do you, what do you think is going to happen? I'm willing to like pay you. Like what is, what is up with this? It's, it, it was pretty amazing. So to get all the music for this film was realization that um, we were going to have to scavenge free music archive, like the most uh, incredible vultures ever created. And my editor and I spent hours and hours and hours listening to music and sharing music from free music archive. I mean, it was a massive time consumption that was spent um, just for the song that we used for the um, trailer that took us three weeks. I found, I found, well, I listened to a ton of music. I found about seven songs that I was like, oh, this is gonna be it, this is gonna be it. Just get no, 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 over and over again. It was, it's, it's very, at one point during those processes, you were like, I'm never gonna have it. This is a failure. It's never going to work <laughs> just because it becomes very like mentally taxing. Um, so free music archive, the music, the film has 63 songs. 
we were able to scavenge everything. Some of that we did license through artists that said yes. And some of the artists on even on free music archive said no. But in the end, you know, I guess to me, all that time paid out. Um, but it did, I feel like the music is almost a character in this film. Um, it really kind of, it, it's, you know, we made it to compel and push and just accentuate every moment. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I think it really helped it. And, and I, like I said, I pay close attention to music and I could tell that thoughtful choices were, were taking place. Um, do, do you think that's getting worse over time or do you think it's going to get better? Like as far as, um, people saying no, like, cause I guess the last film you made was in 2015 Yes, and, and I'm, I'm sure like Trump had made all any political disagreement worse, I guess, but I don't know. What's your take on that? I mean, the first, uh, my first film, I had a composer compose everything. Okay. So I only had one, I needed one yes for that one because everything else was composed. And it's a very, very different kind of film. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know if it's going to get worse or better. I guess it all only is going to depend on the subject of the film, right? Yeah. Um, but I think there are more creatives um that are willing to voice their discontent or just be willing, like in the way of being open to be like, if you want my music, have it. Um, I've never heard of one person saying that they got like canceled or doxxed or in trouble because they gave music to a film. Like it's so absurd. So they can always, I mean, just my, my advice to any uh, musicians out there, if you can always just say, Oh, you know, some, my management just agreed to that. I didn't know about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, distance yourself. Well, I guess because I've been seeing recently, like, there's more tech guys willing to interface with, like, I don't know if you call it like frog Twitter, right wing Twitter, or something like that. But like, there, there's more guys out in p- the public eye willing to like be like, hey, I just talked to him, you know, <laughs> like, um, but also, like, I don't know, I, I do feel like it got worse for a time there, but maybe there's some loosening happening where and and maybe there's also just some some room in the space where it's like, you know, hey, we're we're looking at this as, a, you know, I don't know, like like an artistic choice as opposed to like a political statement. I don't know. Sure. I mean, I hope I hope uh, everyone cools down a little bit. Well, one thing yeah. is this segues into something we'd plan to talk about, uh, which is, um, you know, like film making films, documentary or, or like narrative films requires such a talent pool. There's so many people involved, um, or there, or there can be that like, is there, I guess like for, for an ecosystem to, to make, to make art or, or, or documentary or journalism or something like, is there, is the talent pool there right now? Like, to, to do things that are, you know, outside of the approved, uh, outside of approved topics or approved opinions. Like, I mean, from what I can tell, um, you know, I, I operate, I'm a real gorilla indie filmmaker. I'm kind of like out there on my own in a way. Um, so I'm not plugged into, uh, film groups. Yeah. Um, but from what I can tell is there, it's a few, it's a handful it's, you know, 
not many people are making counter um, films. Um, a lot of women, interestingly enough, which I'm proud of. <laughs> but yeah, I, I hope that changes. I hope that grows. I hope people get so exhausted by these um, lame episodic documentaries that they start seeking out more information and more interesting approaches. Um, I, I think that's only, I, I think that only has to happen, right? Everything swings, the pendulum swings. Um, but I think right now it's still a pretty small, small world. Well, People are still scared. Yeah. Speaking of, you mentioned you showed this in New York and I think you're from New York, right? Or some, I'm actually from Texas. Oh, okay. I'm actually from Texas, but I lived in New York for a good period of time. Yeah. So, so how do you go from living in New York uh, to, if, if you don't mind talking about it, uh, to like, I don't know, uh, championing like, uh, radical second amendment. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> sure. Pro freedom yeah, causes. Yeah. Like, were you, were you just always along those lines or, or was there something that kind of clicked, um, when you learned about it? Well, I think rebellion is in my blood. <laughs> so <laughs> there's that. Um, I grew up in Texas. Um, I am not a stranger to guns. Um, I grew up um, shooting, not like all the time, but my father taught me. He mm -hmm. um, he taught me the ethos around it. He, you know, to be not idiotic as well. Like if you encounter a gun, don't do this. Understand what they are. He taught me the tool. Um, I lived in New York for a long time. And honestly, when you live there, you don't really, you know, it's not possible. So I didn't really think about it very much, but we entered these times in, you know, 2012, 2013, where the world was no longer, I mean, it's just getting more and more contentious and um, meeting Cody and Amir Taki and learning all about these things just enlivened a part of me that um, must have been there. I mean, I can tell you ways that it is there, but you know, all of this was pretty new. 3D guns was new, um, mm -hmm. Bitcoin was new. All of these uh, systems, these beautiful systems were being thrown out and put out there. I learned about Bitcoin in 2013. I know it's been around 2209. Yeah, is that right? 2009? Yeah, um, around there. Yeah, and so it just coalesced very quickly for me and I was smitten and I knew it just so I might have been a New Yorker and trust me talking about these things with a lot of people in New York I mean didn't get me in like literal trouble but it was not they were not easy conversations they're not people were not and still aren't for some crazy ass reason mentally ready to um, understand what this means um you know, they, they snicker at these ideas of freedom, but, you know, get mentally ill instead. Right. So. Were you at all yeah. shocked at how people like reacted to you, like filming those things, maybe your New York friends or anything or, or was yeah, it? Yeah, there was, there was many times where I was deeply hurt and frustrated. Hmm. Um, and just the fact that sometimes you discuss a topic and people don't even want to understand. Right. They just, they're there, you know, the cognitive distance is so heavy that the only thing that can happen is anger. Um, oh, so much, so much of that. 
over the years. So, so much of that. So when you get into a premiere in New York and you show your film and some of the people are like, oh my God, you want to love them, but you also want to slap them. <laughs> yeah. Like, thank you. <laughs> um, because like uh, this film has definitely been for me, um, which has been a pretty solo experience. Um, you know, I had to sink deep into the, you know, into how perseverant I could be um, because after you film for three years, four years, five years, six years, you start thinking, am I crazy? Is this really ever going to turn into something? Like you really have to know yourself in a way. Um, so yeah, I hope, I hope I answered your question there. Yeah. I actually, I actually kind of wondered about the last thing you're touching on there. I wondered about that when I was watching it because it must be, it must be very, I mean, I would, I would have a lot of anxiety about what I was making. Like, like, is something going to happen that makes this more or less interesting? Um, in your case, there's, there's this big piece in there that's like, there's, you know, Cody ends up getting in trouble with the law for something unrelated to, um, to defense distributed. And that ends up being a pretty heavy, like sort of narrative, not narrative, but heavy portion of the documentary. And, arguably like the most compelling or most like the most uh, engaging part of it. Um, so I was wondering about that. And I, and I probably for me that my favorite, my favorite interact and my favorite scene was like you kind of interviewing him on that boat about his, uh, mm -hmm. his legal, his legal troubles with the, you know, the alleged, you know, whatever it was that underage girl or something like that. But like, what was, how did that hit you when you were in? Cause you're already years deep at that point. Right. Yeah. So 2015 is when I started April of 2015. And that happened in August and September, well, August oh, 22nd, where was it? September 22nd of 2018. So yeah, definitely deep in it, been filming a while. Um, lots of things had already happened. Like it could have like, interestingly enough, the film, you know, you never know when you're really trying to make a documentary that follows someone like, when am I going to stop? Was I going to stop in 2019, maybe? Because there's a whole other film in there. I mean, there's lots of footage on the floor where this film could have been a little bit more heavily based in um, legalities, you know, court system. You know, there's a lot of that that was happening. Other interesting things. There's lots of scenes and places that we went that just never entered the film. What happened in 2018 definitely took the film, you know, in a different direction. Um you know, it became not only a film about 3D guns and code and everything, it also became a film about mistakes and hubris and uh, uh, choices in life. And if you're going to be somebody who is death athletic, um, be smart, you know, it became so much more. Um, so in the making of that, yeah, that as as a filmmaker when that happens and when you're so so close to your subject um not only was that a time where in a sense like for you know if we want to just be without you know without heart wow that's amazing what a perfect twist for a storyline um we got something new here right but if you're really in it with your character and 
Um, it was also this insane moment of trying to find clarity and trying not to be a vulture. And also all the confusion that happens when somebody you know closely um, does something and you want to find out information, right? And then at the same time, the media is just going nuts, calling all sorts of names. It was definitely an interesting study about how media works, how one article goes out with a certain verbiage and everybody just repeats it. Everybody just literally straight up repeats like the first article that drops. If not straight yeah. up copy pasting. Right? Yeah. Like barely any journalism happening. Um, so yeah, this making this film not only took me to places prior to 2018 of like, is this ever going to work? Am I, am I nuts? Is this obsession unhealthy? <laughs> Will this turn into something that people want to watch, which is probably a natural part of making anything right. Um, it's, this is just stretched over a longer period of time. It also turned into a, uh, a real, um, uh, aggressive moment of unknowing and how I, as the filmmaker interacted with my character, which is Cody, um, because it's weird. It's weird following someone when you really still don't want to be like, a vulture, but you still need to get the job done in filming. So yeah, lots, this, 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 uh, film has taken, took me on a lot of rides, well, um, and watching it and watching it is, is it still hits me pretty the, hard. The part I, I mentioned about his, his, um, legal troubles. I also think a lot of like, I, you know, I refer to like the, the Netflix do- documentary style, like they would have handled that so cheaply. They would have had like this intense music and these heavy drums and they'd be like, but then, you know, this awful thing happened. Like, you know, see what happened in the next episode, but you just handle it. Like, you know, you handle it gracefully. So, um, I, I don't know. I hope people would appreciate that when they see it, that, uh, that you're not, that you're not exploiting. I mean, I'm, I'm okay with some level of, you know, being emotionally manipulated when I'm watching something, but, I hope people would appreciate that you you don't do it more than is needful. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I don't I don't see why I would have to do it. It's so intense on its own. <laughs> like, there's nothing about that part of the story that lent, tends towards like, oh, like nothing. <laughs> what what is the from the moment you find out to you know what the media is saying to all of that it's it's freaking intense nobody has to like lace that with an undercurrent of like forcing it to be something else what the film has and still people don't know is like cody never talks about this it's like the exclusive to the film his lawyers i was in the courtrooms um it all kind of stands on its own i mean there's obviously music that plays into it a little bit but um it didn't need a ton. Yeah. Did did you ever feel like um, Cody was messing with you ever? <laughs> no, I. Oh, like um. No, I don't think I don't. I didn't. I, we were. I never felt like he was messing with me. He. Mm-hmm. We had a very very, and I think that's the only reason that this film could be made as it was in the first place, is that. Uh, we do change with who we're talking with. Um, and you can watch Cody on 
all sorts of media and see him kind of embrace different kind of personalities or, or, you know what, I don't even have to say that. Like we are different depending whoever we face just because our mm-hmm. mood is different, where we are is different. The interaction is different, the chemistry, the energy, etc. cetera. Um, I think because he was in my first film and he trusted me so much to not, to really like offer what I wanted what I said, which was, I want to do a film. This is going to be about you and I'm not going to manipulate it. He trusted me to do that. Um, and there's so much, we filmed like 18 terabytes of 18 terabytes of footage. And he, he allowed himself to be comfortable. And I, I do think that I have the most like genuine side Mm-hmm. I try, you know, he sometimes says like, I tried to humanize him, but I, I don't think there's a problem with humanizing someone. Um, we just talked and we talked a lot. Um, I, I don't have much more to say about the documentary itself. I, you know, I do think everyone should go watch it. Um, you know, go pay for it. This is, you know, obviously uh, Jessica put her own money into it and it's, it's very hard. Like, and I, I just say this from the position of making this small little podcast, but like, it is so hard to get stuff out there and especially when you don't have the backing of, you know, like NGOs and all these various, you know, you know, we don't have Netflix isn't out there like promoting this sort of thing. So, so, so you guys have to do it. Sorry, but you do. So, um, so yeah, I think it, yes, yeah, every, everyone should go watch this. Um, I don't have much more to say about the documentary itself. So I wanted to ask you just some other stuff. Um, so maybe I was curious what, what documentaries you, you like or maybe inspired you along your way i actually never knew i was going to make a documentary this kind of all fell into my lap um if you've never seen this documentary called the act of killing i highly highly recommend it um joseph oppenheimer oppenheimer um it took him like 10 years to make this film and it is just wild because he well going back to humanizing um he basically like follows people. What is it? They're, they're like the wait. I gotta, I gotta look this up. Um, it's been so long. Is it Indonesia active killing? I just looked it up. Sumatra. Sumatra. Like the individuals that he's following. Oh yeah. Indonesia um, are basically like butchers. They, they just killed and raped and they were gangsters and he's sitting with them. You're, you're like basically sitting with some of the most like evil, right? And by the end of the film, you can't help but understand that they're human. And <laughs> it's, it's pretty intense and it's, and it's masterful and it's weird and it's interesting. I just love it because it's a film that like allows, which there's very few, allows the audience to sit with someone to un, to attempt to understand. And what's amazing about this film is that one of the main characters finally sees himself. Like at the beginning, they're like kind of proud. It's their history. It's like, they're still proud of it. This insane violence. Right. And this character finally sees himself. It's like, it's like they don't try to manipulate and manipulate him into doing it, but he just does. And I, I think that was like, a beautiful demonstration of interaction on multiple levels of a filmmaker honestly trying to 
show something. And in doing so, one of the characters has a revelation. And as an audience, you have this other layer of understanding all these like insane atrocities. And then crazily enough, having like empathy for the man that committed them at the end. It's wild. It's such, it's such a good film. <laughs> um, yeah, I, haven't, I haven't seen that. So yeah. Um, I loved Cartel Land. Um, I highly suggest that. I'm trying to think of other films. I don't know. It's it's across the board. I like I like a lot of a lot of docs. Um, but I definitely like the docs. I am drawn to docs that put you in places of uh danger, um of extreme extreme ideas or societies. I'm I'm very much drawn yeah. to that. Hmm. What what about uh, films in general? Are you a like? Do you have favorite films? Um, I do. I have tons. It's hard to pick just one. Everything from Darren Aronofsky to all right, you know, New Wave Fellini's to I mean, it's just it's so across the board. Um, I did study filmmaking. Um, Wong Kar Wai, any kind of like. Battle Royale, Battle Royale Japanese films. I mean, they're all offer so much. Um, yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> Last Samurai to Last of the Mohicans to like, I don't know, Godfather, like give it to me. That's all amazing. Yeah. Like, um, Battle Royale was the first, uh, first episode on this podcast, actually. First one. I yeah. no We've way. done a lot of uh, Aronofsky as well. Cause I'm a Aronofsky fan. Got it. Yeah. Delicious. The battle Royale was, I saw that when I was in college and I was like, Holy, Holy <laughs> crap. <laughs> this is amazing. Um, and then you, you mentioned you went to, you said you went to film school. Um, I did. and did you, you like worked in Hollywood, right? Like, um, I'm curious. What, what was that? What was that like? What did you kind of learn or take away from all that? Sure. I mean, I worked for an actress named Rachel Vice for a number of oh, years. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, big and so vice fans. Uh, you're big vice fans. <laughs> so I worked with her day and night. <laughs> um, I mean, I was like 12 or 13 when the mummy came out, so that was a formative uh, experience for me. <laughs> yeah, that was that was her thing. I started working with her around the Constant Gardner time. Mm. She just and was there when she won her Oscar. So I was a baby, um, and. I mean, it was very interesting. It was great because Wong Kar Wai was like, at that moment, he was my, he was my dream. And then he came into the United States and shot um, My Blueberry Nights, which it definitely was a flop. It wasn't that great of a film, unfortunately. Um, When, you know, translating it over, I don't think worked so well, but it was so fascinating to be on set and watch him. It was like, I was just in in pure heaven. I don't think I slept for like four weeks. We filmed three or four weeks. Um, so yeah, working Hollywood was interesting. I mean, being on film sets, I, I miss it. Like this massive crew of individuals that come together to just like work so hard. Making a film is so difficult. Um, just so many moving, like moving parts, so many things go wrong. You have so many personalities, like it's all of it. But in the end, it's just like, uh, you know, a, a grade school coming together. It becomes such a tight knit bond. Um, so working on those, working on big films was just a lot of fun. 
seeing the mechanics behind these massive films. Um, I, I didn't have like any bad, like Hollywood experiences. I was working out of New York and and fortunately Rachel was just absolutely lovely. Um, I did see some stuff, uh, definitely, I guess, I think in any kind of business there's, you know, the good personalities and the bad personalities for sure. Um, but you know, in the end it was, it was very informative. I, uh, loved watching the directors and the form of, um, directing in the sense of which directors really had control over their sets and their ideas, which Wong Kar Wai and his little team was like, their control was insane. Um, his, oh, his like right hand man, I'm losing his name right now, who does like all the set work, everything you see would like fix a strand of hair for like five minutes if it wasn't tilted in the correct direction and nobody would say a thing. It was amazing. Um, anyway, so I, I, I had a great time. I had a good time. It just had, it had an ending level of being like a personal assistant for me. I mean, some people do it for forever and that's great. It's like definitely needed, but you know, there was an end for me. Would you ever be interested in, in directing a traditional narrative film? Yes. I mean, that's what I always thought I was going to do. Um, so yeah, maybe I'll go back to that soonish. Um, but yeah, that's still but on the another table. thing I wondered and, and don't, don't say anything if it might get in the way of, of conversations <laughs> that are happening, but has there been any attempts or interest, um, to, to dramatize any of Cody's story? Um, and then, um, and then on a more fun side, like who, who could you imagine like playing that role? Uh, <laughs> um, you know, that's funny. The last time somebody talked to me about that and was interested in, you know, clinging on to me because they knew I was, I was the contact, if you will. Um, that was in, I think, 2019. Um, I haven't heard much since then. Nobody's like reached out to me recently. Um, and who would play? Oh, what's his name? I guess the closest look. Oh, I don't know who would play. I know, I know, uh, I know Cody would love, um, Oh my God. I'm so bad with actors names. Blade Runner. Gosling. Oh, Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. All the boys want to be Ryan Gosling. Right. Yeah. So, but, uh, maybe Timberlake. I don't know. <laughs> they have the same birthday. So. <laughs> Timberlake would be funny. That'd be good. Yeah, I just watched him some, some Netflix a... thing. I, he's, um, I don't know if he's underrated or not. I don't know. I don't know how people perceive him, but I think Timberlake's pretty good. Yeah, I like him in Black Snake Moan. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I I feel like Hollywood would cast like Paul Dana. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> sure, yeah, because they wouldn't want to. Be like he's an internet like that. guy. That's what they look like. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They wouldn't want to make an appealing face. Well, I think I think Dana has an appealing face. Pardon me. Pardon me. Pardon me. Dano might listen to the show. I don't know. Yeah, he might. I mean, he has appealing face, but you know what I mean. Not like the. He's not technically a lead man like character. He's you know, it makes it a little bit more incel. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Dano. No, I get it. I, I think you're incel coded <laughs> actor. Um, I I have a question, and it may be too big for where we are in the podcast, but um. 
there's kind of this cultural meme of like the right doesn't know how to make art. And we've talked about this a lot in our podcast, so we don't necessarily need to rehash the whole discussion. But um, and we kind of think that's silly in general, because like a lot of art like is either not inherently like politically coded or technically it just depends on how you read it. Um, but like when when you think of, OK, well, here's a documentary that, you know, studios are shooting down and and liberals don't like uh like you kind of think of the other big players are like daily wire are like we need an, a conservative hollywood but then like what they put out is almost laughable and mm. and i guess not uh of high value of any kind um do you have a a, a take on either the like that cultural meme or like what needs to happen or like, do you even think Hollywood is too woke or <laughs> anything like that? Or, um, I don't know your opinion on that. I mean, I absolutely think Hollywood is too woke. I mean, the stuff coming out is just so the propagandizing mint that has went into all of this, that just doesn't make sense. Um, I mean, I haven't watched the last Napoleon film, but that trailer was just mm -hmm. vomitous. Like it was just, I, I couldn't, I mean, it was so flat in the first part. There was no passion in it. I can't even imagine anyone enjoying that. Like it would to make it right. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's very, very, very woke Disney, all the things that are coming out, but it's just like ruining art forms. Um, well, your your thing with the people, musicians didn't even want to take your money like that. That speaks to like a, I guess, like a chilling effect or something where it's like you can't even people aren't even giving themselves permission to to be involved in something that could be perceived as right wing. For sure. I mean, come on, my half the people like I, there are not many names in my film, but I would say almost half of them aren't real names. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> like there's a, my editor that's not a real name um they i was wondering who those people I, were i was wondering why they only had yeah. one credit if they're an editor but so they 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 might they work under a normal name too interesting yeah they have a they have a actual name and an actual personality um but yeah a lot of people are just you know anon on this film because they 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 fear even though they're into it they want to work in Hollywood. They want to get their jobs. Um, since I have no connection or haven't tried to work in Hollywood, I don't know what would happen if I tried to. I mean, nobody's coming yeah. after me right now, so it's fine. Um, is, so is being a non-lame and gay, or is it okay? That's <laughs> kind of cool. Yeah. I, I, I don't mind it. Um I think it's only lame and gay in the form that uh, I think my editor would love to have her name on this film. Um, uh -huh. I think she's very proud of it. And unfortunately that's the hand that's turned. That's what makes it lame and gay. The fact that to have a very cool, anon name and to work from it. And if it works and you're willing to do it like that in, in and of its own doesn't. Right. Um, but it's just unfortunate. Yeah. And and I said this before, but the editing is very good. So, yeah, no, she was she was killer. Um, when I first had this film put together, it was about seven hours of edits. Hmm. 
And then by can, the time- can I get access to that version? It's <laughs> 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 a lot. Um, and then by the time I finally found an editor, just finding an editor was a whole thing on its own. I talked to so many people and like, I just knew that they were going to try to change. They weren't going to take my direction. Like, it's, you know, an editor edits, but edit under direction. Right. Um, so, and so many, oh, but you're going to, you know, just so many people I spoke to that are high end doc, you know, editors for documentaries, they were just going to put their own opinions on it and they were just scared of it. And they're like, how can you do this? How can you not talk to, you know, politicians? How can you not talk to them? It was insane. And then the person I ended up following, finding to work with ended up being like just an online mutual. Um, so that's oh, kind of funny cool, and yeah. awesome. But, but um, going back to editor, what was I talking about? Um, well, I'll, I'll jump in just and say, I mean, it just sounds like there's obviously a, there, there is a big um, hurdle for getting things that could be perceived as ideological, ideologically conservative or something. It sounds like there's a big, a big hurdle in getting that made. For ma a massive hurdle. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people just stop themselves um, because they're so scared and it's really unfortunate. So yeah. So lots of people anon and that's okay because they are still willing to put the work into it and they still believed in the project. Oh, I was telling you the cut. Yeah, so it started seven hours to three hours. And then by the time she actually started working on it, I think I was down to like two and a half. And then we would just, it was awesome because we, we worked over Premiere Pro, like the cloud. We didn't work in the same room. So we would just like send edits back and forth, back and forth, like mad, like mad. And it was kind of this insane way of editing a film, but it worked. The madness spread, I guess, I think a lot of the tempo in the film as well. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, that that sounds very hard because I work in, I work in Premiere Pro. Sometimes that sounds that sounds uh, tough <laughs> to do it remotely. Yeah. But, um, and then I know that like the some of the the bigger like distributors or or not distributors but platforms that that would that would have documentaries like yours, like Netflix. They're not like you mentioned. They they don't want to touch it. But um, and and don't say one way or the other if it if it would. It, get in the way of anything but like are the i'm just wondering why like daily wire you know like because they are trying to put out content like why aren't they and maybe they are but like they should be approaching you basically is what i want to say like they, they should sure. be I, I, I agree <laughs> and um i've had some people reach out to people at daily wire but they're not they're not they're like shooting films or something and they're not reaching back yeah. out so daily wire anyone there are you listening reach out. I have a really killer cinematic film for you um, that you don't have to make yourself. You just have to buy. Yeah. It. And we don't have the, this, this show doesn't have the biggest audience, but I have been told that various sort of influential people do tune in periodically. So, um, so yes, Ben Shapiro, if you're listening, go, <laughs> go, uh, go buy this or whatever. I feel like this film, like this is the opportunistic look at, or yeah, look at it. Like, this film is going to just gather a cult following and just grow through the years as we continue exploring what it is to be uh, alive in the century of information and control and bad government, etc. Um, I have a lot of hope that this film will continue just finding legs um, as it should. Uh, can I offer a critique of the film? 
Sure. <laughs> um, so since I'm kind of like, I was like following all the news stuff. I even was like following your YouTube channel. You put out little clips every once in a while. Um, and like, so when this came out and then the, the title was Death Athletic, I was like, oh, we're we're doing it, right? <laughs> I want like the esoteric version of this. <laughs> Almost like the, uh, the, you know, I want more weird stuff in there. <laughs> What do you um, mean? By, what do you mean by weird stuff? I want to know. I, I don't know. Like, I just wonder, like, how many conversations you have recorded of Cody of where he's going off on some crazy, oh. philosophical rant of some I've, kind, I've or like, it. I don't know, walking the streets of some uh, European country, meeting oh. with <laughs> who knows who, and stuff like that. I don't know. I wanted to see like the the salate the salacious okay, so, side of it i don't know okay i'm making but, a uh, that's making I, a I think it, like i said i think it's great and for anyone who hasn't been following it like with a fine tooth comb over the years like i feel like there's probably not a lot of people like that it's perfect but but for <laughs> me i want the the yes the, the deep cuts okay so not everyone can sit through that but i'm making yeah. a note Make the esoteric version for Cool Frasier. <laughs> Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Okay, maybe I'll maybe I'll like put out little two minute segments. We have a lot of philosophical discussion, definitely from 2015 to 2018. That was a big part. I mean, even on the boat, there's stuff you just can't. It's impossible to integrate all of that and actually keep your audience active. I mean, it would make mm -hmm. it would. It, it's just impossible. I mean, at one point, I because this is an. an I mean, there is a lot of information in this film. And no, yeah, know. and like even even like the film is probably not long enough to de deeply cover all of the information that you did cover, right? Yeah, and and you'll exhaust the audience at one point. Mm -hmm. Like it's just not it's just not unless I turn it into a nine episodic. You know, there was there was I forget about this. There was a moment where like. I was realizing how much footage I had and I had this like seven hour cut and people were like, you can turn this into like, sell it as like 45 minute, you know, nine episodes. I mean, there's enough of that. Um, but I understand there's a lot of philosophical content that's super interesting and strange and weird. Um, mm -hmm. that maybe I can make you happy one day. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Release the, release the <laughs> Frasier cut. <laughs> yeah, weird ass music on top yeah <laughs> the real cut <laughs> um okay that's i'm um i don't really have any other questions or anything so i'm good to go fraser anything else um maybe i it, we we're talking about the hollywood casting i would cast uh zazie beats as paloma <laughs> no, i'm just kidding <laughs> zazie beats i don't even know who that is <laughs> it's it's just a ongoing gag she's oh, a real okay. person though <laughs> Yeah, real, real actress. Oh, I just looked her up. I've seen her face. Yeah, she's in Joker. Got it. Um, I just want to say for your audience, if you're interested in the film, deathathletic.com, you can get it for fiat. You can get it for, you know, a BTC pay, throw in the Bitcoin. And um, if you use the code virtue, if you buy it with fiat, you can get a little discount. Nice. I'll put a, I'll put a link uh, in the description. And that's the best way to buy it, right? If yeah, I mean, it's way. on it's if you use Amazon, that makes you happy. Great. It's on Amazon. It's on Google. It's on YouTube, but they take 50%. So it is awesome if you can buy it direct. Oh, I had one more question. 
Yeah. <laughs> when you pitched it to like traditional distributors or studios, did they um, actually meet with you or was this just emails or like, did sure, any of I, them like go to a certain point and then be like, somebody shut it down or something? Sure. At the beginning of making this film for the first few years, I had a killer PR um, uh-huh. agent that was really supporting this film. He dropped out around 2019 um, because political issues, you know, he could no longer support the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that point, this man who I still, I, I wish him well, I love him. Um, he's super well connected and he had everyone's number. Mm-hmm. So he just went directly to the buyers. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well now, now it comes down to Ben Shapiro or Glenn Beck or something. Yes. There, guys. It's there for the I'm taking. Fine. Um, okay, that's uh, I'll wrap it up there. Thanks to our sponsors, uh, Shaolin AI and uh, and Croom products for men. So uh, thanks and uh, welcome back sometime. Maybe we'll talk about a, a just a normal movie or something. But yeah, I'd love to. All right, we'll see you guys later. Thank you so much. Have a good day.